You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Behold, O Lord, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, and a sinner of your own redeeming. Amen. I invite you to be seated. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When he looked at those crowds, what did he see? I mean, he saw more than we'd normally see, right? He's the son of God. He knows men's hearts. When he looked at those crowds who had done an end around the lake to find his vacation spot so he could at least get a snack and beat him there, what did he see? He saw everything, everything. He saw those who were there eagerly awaiting Messiah. And he saw those who were just there looking to see some magic or for a quick fix for their illness. He saw those who were looking for a revolutionary warrior, hoping to overthrow the Romans. He saw those who were, their bitterness and resentment had led them to come and think, maybe this person will help me get revenge on those who've been so cruel. He saw everything. He saw the bickering, the doubt, He saw the resentment, the pettiness. He saw all their suffering. And that includes the suffering that each had brought upon himself or herself through sin and the suffering that had been inflicted on them by others. Jesus saw it all and he felt compassion. That is gut-wrenching pain at the suffering of others. Because what he saw was sheep without a shepherd. That is people who have been made to have a king but do not have one. Because shepherd in the ancient world is a very thin metaphor for a king. Is that what we see when we look at the world? When we look at the people outside the church, with the crowds that are all around us, the teeming hordes of humanity, do we feel compassion when we see sheep without a shepherd? Maybe sometimes, right? You see orphans, right? And you feel compassion. You hear about marriages that have fallen apart, you feel compassion. But what about resentful neighbors who've done nasty things to you? What about a teenage boy who's trying to fit in with his friends by showing that he can be even more of a jerk than they are? Or the teenage girl who's trying to fit in with her friends by what she wears or doesn't wear, right? Or, or, the, or the teenage girl who's trying to fit in with her friends and find acceptance by deciding whether or not she's a boy. We turn on the news, we hear angry people. We see people who've given their loyalty unflinching loyalty to to teams or to politicians or to political parties or to nations. We see people who've invented selves for themselves on social media. When we look at those people, at the crowds all around us, do we see sheep without a shepherd? People desperately longing for a king who, because they have none, they clamor and they fight and they lie and they hurt and they scratch and they wander, each trying to be his own shepherd. I'm not sure that compassion's always our reaction. It's not mine, anyways. I'm, I'm more like the disciples. That is, there's a bunch of villages over there. They can go fend for themselves and buy some bread. They should have been more prepared. Sometimes we see people who've just been irresponsible. And so we give ourselves freedom not to feel compassion. Sometimes we see threats. People who endanger things that we value, and so we're afraid of them. And we feel fear rather than compassion. Sometimes we don't see people at all. We're just too absorbed in ourselves. And so we're completely indifferent. I think we shield ourselves from it 
We look for reasons not to feel compassion. We reserve our compassion for those who, who, who truly deserve it, right? The, the orphans did nothing to pick their lot. People who were hit by some natural disaster, they did nothing. So we're okay feeling compassion with that if we're not complete monsters. But those people like drug addicts, homeless, well, they did stuff to deserve their lot. We don't really need to feel compassion for them. It was their choices. So like the disciples, we, we want to send them off to the villages to go find their own bread because they should have been better prepared. But what about yourself? What about when you look at yourself and you look up what's going on in here? Do you feel compassion? Do you see your own need for a shepherd? For a king to rule over you in love? And I'm not talking about self-pity. Feeling self-aggrieved because no one knows how awesome you are. Or feeling, maybe people knew my, my good intentions and they'd like me more. No, no, I mean compassion. That is, that you look in yourself and you recognize in there all the lostness of a sheep without a shepherd. Of a person who was designed and who was created to be ruled over in love by a king and has none. And so you bite and you scratch and you lie and you clamor and you grasp trying to be your own shepherd. Or does that voice of judgment speak there too? That same voice you use to defend yourself from feeling compassion for those who don't deserve it, does it speak up in your heart? I mean, you know yourself better than most people, right? Hopefully. So you know all the reasons you deserve your lot. You know the mistakes you made, the bad choices you did. So the idea of feeling compassion for yourself kind of elicits an eye roll, at least it does for me, because I know why I don't deserve it. And I bet you do too. You know all the reasons why you're guilty and you deserve your lot. And maybe that same voice that keeps you and protects you from feeling compassion for others keeps you from feeling compassion for yourself. That's my experience of it anyways. And what is striking to me is how when I read this gospel story, how utterly foreign that is to the compassion that Jesus feels. Because he sees all the people in all their sin, in all their suffering, in all their bad choices, in all their misplaced longings, in all their idolatry, and he sees at its root, at its heart, sheep trying to be their own shepherds. And that makes him feel compassion. Compassion that leads him to act. And so I want to take a look today at that word, compassion. And this weird compassion that's kind of unlike, actually utterly unlike anything that we know. Because it's actually a special word. It's, only, it, it's, a, it's a common word outside the New Testament. But in the New Testament, it's only used in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's only used in reference to Jesus or into, in the parables of Jesus as characters who represent God. Now, on a surface translation, we might say it's to feel pity or to feel sympathy, to feel the pain of another, to kind of identify with them. But it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that because it's never actually used as a normal human emotion. And then there are other Greek words for that. And the other thing that's important about it is that it's a visceral bodily word. Splachnizomai is the word. And the root of this word, splachnizomai, is splach. And it means guts. It means inner parts, everything in here. I mean, we, we sometimes say, my stomach dropped out, right? Because that's where we feel some of our strongest emotions, right in here. We, it actually became synonymous eventually with the heart, right? We kind of use heart. It's a little more polite than guts when we talk about our feelings, right? But what's awesome about this term, and you're never going to forget it after today, splachnizamai, because it's an onomatopoeia. It's an onomatopoeia that is a word that sounds like what it is. 
Okay, how does spluck needs of mine sound like guts? Well, pretend you're a good, good old-fashioned Greek priest and you're going up to offer the daily offering of the lamb. What sound do guts make when they splat against the altar? <laughs> spluck, right? It's the spluck parts. That's where Jesus feels compassion. That's the part of Jesus that hurts when he sees those sheep without a shepherd. But if we want to get a sense for this splachnidzimai, this compassion, we can look at the actions of Jesus, and we will, but we actually need to look first at what he teaches about it. Because it's in his teaching about it that we find that our sense of compassion is but a pale image. So let's look at how he teaches it. He teaches it in three parables. Parables which are probably known to you, if you've been awake for the last hundred years. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, or it's often called the prodigal son. And you, if you don't know the story, it's a story Jesus is telling to, to make a point. And a, a young man tells his father, the younger of two brothers, tells his father, Father, you're dead to me. I want all the money that I'm going to get for the inheritance now. I don't care about you, so I can go spend it the way I will. His dad gives it to him. He takes all the money from the inheritance, goes off, squanders it on all sorts of shenanigans. And then a famine comes, and he finds himself hungry and friendless. And he thinks... The people who work for my dad, they've, they've got better food than me. So he arises to go back to his father. And here's what Jesus, how Jesus tells the story. But while the young man was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. God's compassion is not for the deserving. God's compassion is not for those who deserve it. That son no more deserved his father's compassion. What he deserved, what all the people in town would be ready to give him, was justice for, for dishonoring and shaming his father. What his elder brother wanted him to get was justice. But his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and protected him and clothed him and threw a party for him. Because God's compassion, unlike all of ours, is not for the deserving. It's precisely for those who do not deserve it. This comes through in another way in the second parable Jesus teaches about this. Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. That is, a servant who owes his master about 10,000 talents, which is more than the GDP of Rome for a year. An astronomical debt no human being would ever be able to owe, much less repay. It's an unpayable debt. The servant owes it to his master, and the master calls him to account. He can't pay it, so the master says, all right, off to jail, debtor's jail with you. And he throws himself on the ground and says, have pity on me. And I will repay everything. Just give me time. And the master has compassion on him and forgives the entire debt. God's compassion knows no limit. God's compassion knows no limit. It's not concerned with price. It draws from an infinite source to forgive that which cannot be forgiven, to pay that which cannot be paid. And the servant will go on to fail to see this and he'll go on to deny compassion to someone else to deep, deeply distressing and sad consequence. He failed to see that God's compassion knows no limit. The third thing Jesus teaches is in the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this story, a Jewish man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets beaten and robbed and left for dead. And two of the best and brightest of Jew the Jewish people walk by and pass by and leave him for dead. But a Samaritan a national and religious enemy comes and feels compassion. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had 
compassion. He lifted him up, bound his wounds, set him on a donkey, and paid for him to stay at an inn where he could heal. To get the real force of this, I want you to think about the people you're scared, most scared of. The people who are the greatest threat to your faith, to your nationalism, to your patriotism, to anything you value. Think about the people that, that are the most dangerous to you. That's who a Samaritan was to the Jews. Centuries of violence and hatred and animosity. And Jesus picks that guy, that person that you don't even really want to talk about because it makes your blood boil and makes him the hero of the story. The one who crosses this chasm with compassion. Because God's compassion is not just for his friends, it's for his enemies. God's compassion, unlike ours, is not just reserved for the people we like or the people we want to like. It's for the people we fear and distrust and devalue. God's compassion is for his enemies. And his compassion leads him to take action, to heal and restore and provide for his enemies. That's the lesson that comes from all the other places we see this word splachnizamai in Jesus' actions. Because in every instance, he sees compassion and then he acts. In Mark 1, 41, he feels compassion for a leprous man. And he reaches out and touches him, making him ritually unclean to heal him. In Luke 7, he sees a widow whose son had died. And he feels compassion and he goes and touches the funeral bier, making himself unclean to raise this young man from the dead. In Mark 9, a father comes and pleads with Jesus to have compassion on his son who is possessed by demons. And Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man, in desperation, says, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, he says, my faith is not what it needs to be. He throws himself into the bottomless well of Jesus' compassion and finds that it runs deeper than his unbelief. And Jesus heals and casts out the demon from his son. God's compassion is not for the deserving. It knows no limit. It's for his enemies, and it leads him to action. And all of this culminates in one primal act of compassion in which Jesus identifies with his enemies. He identifies with the undeserving, and he pays an infinite debt. Because that's where Jesus' ultimate act of compassion drives him, is to a cross. He is driven by his guts to identify wholly and completely with the suffering and sinful, rebellious crowds and humanity, because that's who he is. He is the enacted compassion of God. God's very guts made flesh and tangible and actual. Uh, a theologian, this is the, the thing about, if you're going to get to the ultimate core of this, of this splachnizamai idea, is that, and why it's so different from human compassion. For us, sympathy and compassion are like, we feel the pain of another, right? We, we see that this person's lonely and sad, and so we feel a little lonely and sad, and we feel, we identify with them slightly. But God's compassion identifies with the person wholly and completely, such that, that he knows and experiences and feels what you feel, what that person feels way more deeply and profoundly than they do themselves. A theologian named Karl Barth puts this in, in beautiful terms. He says, the term splachnizamai defies adequate translation because what it means is that the suffering, the sin, the abandonment, and the peril of these people doesn't simply go to the heart of Jesus. It goes right into his heart, into his very self so that their whole plight becomes his plight. And as such, he saw and he suffered their misery far more keenly than they did. 
Jesus saw and suffered your misery far more keenly than you ever will. He knows you, your better and your worse, far more profoundly than you ever can. He loves you far more than your selfish heart will ever manage to love yourself. That's what the cross is all about. It's the fulfillment of God's gut-wrenching compassion for the world he created, for the human beings he made to be ruled over by him in love and who rebelled against him and who fled and have spent all of history biting and scratching and clamoring and fighting and lying in our attempt to be our own shepherds. In his compassion, he gives his very life, his very being, to take that from us and to rule over us in mercy, identifying wholly and completely with those rebellious children, paying the debt that we cannot pay, even when we meet him with anger and resentment and distrust. Even you, Jesus has felt your pain, your guilt, and your sin more deeply than you have. It belongs to him more profoundly than it belongs to you. And he knows all the reasons you have to blame yourself, all the reasons you have to refuse to be compassionate towards yourself, all the reasons you have to cling to your guilt and wallow in it, all the reasons that you have to hang on to your resentment and your anger and your selfishness. He knows it all more profoundly than you ever will, and he has compassion and mercy on you. So maybe the first thing you need to learn from Jesus' compassion is to have compassion on yourself because your king, your shepherd, has compassion on you. And stop trying to be your own king. Stop trying to be your own judge. Stop trying to tell yourself who you are. Stop trying to clamor and fight and scratch to make yourself a place in this world. And just trust that the king who told you that he gave his life for you wasn't lying. Trust that the king who gave his life for you is the manifestation of an infinite love that is the source of all that exists, the very heart of God. And maybe, maybe, once you've learned to listen to that voice of that shepherd who has compassion on you, sinner that you are, maybe once you've learned to see yourself through his eyes, you'll be able to turn toward those teeming hordes of humanity, towards all those crowds, and see sheep without a shepherd and feel compassion. A compassion born not of wishful thinking or ignorance or sappy sentimentality, but a compassion born from the very fire of God that was revealed and enacted and secured in the life and death of Jesus of Nazareth, our shepherd and our king. Amen. And may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and we invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmaus.org. P-A-S-C-O dot org.